The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Is your organization a talent magnet? Is your culture the envy of the business market? Top organizations need top leaders. Make sure that you are that leader. This show will ensure that you are. Welcome to I Lead the Leadership Connection with Dr. Linda Sharkey. Leaders today are more than just results. They are about creating legacies of great people, driving winning organizations, and raising the bar for themselves and that of their teams. Now, here is your host, Dr. Linda Sharkey. Hi, I'm Linda Sharkey, and welcome to I Lead the Leadership Connection. And thank you for joining my show today. Um, and thank you, PricewaterhouseCoopers, for uh, being a sponsor of the show and helping me get it off the ground. One of the things that I've always been passionate about has been leadership, and I learned that lesson uh, and how important leadership really was a long time ago when I was first out of college and one of my early jobs, and I was in labor management relations, actually, and I was trying to, at that time, create cooperative labor management initiatives between the union leadership and the management leadership. And it was a fascinating experience. And unfortunately, it broke down. We were, we were doing really well. We got huge awards and cooperative labor management and, and efforts. And it was in the early days before we even talked about much about facilitation and training and all of that stuff and how to act collaboratively together. And all of a sudden, the politics of the situation came into play. And I realized that unless people have passion for the change that they are driving, unless they believe that there's a real purpose, unless they have the courage to really stand up and take a strong position and help others see the purpose and the future of a cooperative endeavor, it's not going to go anywhere. So you can have all the excitement you want in the troops, but if your leader is not passionate about it, your leader is not excited about it, your leader is merely it for the political game, it's not going to go anywhere. It was really at that point that I said to myself, if you really want powerful, great organizations, you really have to have great leaders who have a conviction and a belief that it's all about the people. And that's actually what started me on my own personal journey. I then went on to do many other things, which I will will share with you at some other point. But the story is really illustrative that if you want a wonderful place where people can share their dreams, where people can be highly productive, where people can live with passion, where people can produce quality, top-notch projects and products, 
you've got to have leaders that believe in people. And you've got to have leaders that understand the greater purpose beyond just the numbers. And now let me be clear, the numbers are important. No organization can survive at the bottom 10. You know, organizations have got to be successful and they've got to have a revenue stream. But, and a strong revenue stream. But without leaders who can really define the purpose and the direction and tap the passion, they're never going to make that really strong revenue stream. And research has showed that time and time again. I also learned, you know, the younger generation, the millennials that we love to talk about, are not all that much different from a lot of studies that have been done. A lot of studies. Uh, PricewaterhouseCoopers did a very in-depth study about it and found that, you know, while their tools are different, uh, their connections are somewhat different, but they all, as we did, want the same thing out of work. But there is one significant difference. Many of us waited later to really do things that were philanthropic, that were really around purpose, that were really around helping others. And it's interesting, today's youth want to work in a place where there is passion for helping others and for doing good things and helping people in communities. It's fascinating. I got my uh, granddaughter, my husband's granddaughter, uh, an internship this summer at Discovery Channel. And I looked at her LinkedIn page and it talked about what she was doing. And she said at the bottom in the last sentence, she said, I really want to be in a place where I can live my passion and where I can help others to live theirs. And I thought to myself, wow, what a great statement. Which really leads me to my guest today. I have with me Walter McFarlane, and I'm very excited to have Walter. I met Walter a number of years back at an American Society of Training and Development conference in Denver, I believe. And I was just getting started with one of my early books. And uh, Walter and I had a great meeting. And I was just so enthralled with his background, his experience. He was on the board. Uh, He was the chairman of ASTD. He's been instrumental in transforming ASTD to the organization that it is today. On top of that, he was one of the first people to really drive HR consultancy in uh, Booz Allen. He's all about large systems change. The Hay Group, he worked there as well. And he also teaches at Columbia University and uh, in other schools around the world. Walter is truly a thought leader around change, passion, and leadership. And I'm so excited to have you with us today, Walter. Thanks for joining. Linda, thanks so much. I'm delighted to be with you. You know, I wanted to ask you, as I was getting ready for this show, um, I noticed that you were on... President Obama's 2012 Rank Award Council. What's that all about? Yep, that's a, that's a yearly council. I was actually honored to be on it twice. That makes recommendations to the president for the highest awards that career public servants can have. And as you know, there are two kinds of senior executives within government, the political appointees and the career appointees. Every year we take a look at, um, at and I don't remember the exact number, 8,000 or so, 8,500 perhaps, senior executives and take a look at the best of the best and make recommendations for their recognition. 
it's a great wow. thing, and I'll tell you, reading the achievements of some of these folks will bring tears to your eyes. Yeah, I don't think people, I, I used to work in, in government myself for a period of time in the uh, Mario Cuomo administration, and I don't really think people realize how tough some of those jobs really are. So were there some themes that came out as you looked at um, really the great contributors? Were there some specific leadership themes that, that jumped out at you from that analysis? I think there was, and I think that, that the folks that were, were, we did it in groups of, of 25 outside professionals, and so you talked about a big theme, and the big theme was passion. And when you would read the statements of the people that accomplished the most, it didn't happen by chance. It, um, and they just didn't do it because they were obsessive or compulsive. They did it because they cared about it um, down into, the, into their very DNA. So I think they had a great passion that was palpable to their teams, and it's something that that pull people to them as though it were, were a magnet. The second thing would be they seem consistently able to cast whatever their task was into the higher purpose. It wasn't just about performing a task, no matter how important that might have been. It was about changing something in a bigger and better way, and it was about the opportunity for people engaged in it to to make a real difference with their lives and a real difference in, in the makeup of their organizations. So passion, the higher purpose, and, and if there was a third piece, it was always that somehow in the midst of doing these global, galactic, big things, they found time, they made time to develop people. They were yeah, without exception. Yeah, very important. Yeah, yeah. I'd say those three. Very important. You know, I, I'm also looking at um, your your new book, which is out, award-winning book, Choosing Change, How Leaders and Organizations Drive Results, One Person at a Time. And it made me think about what you just said, is that, you know, people, their passion and their purpose, it's very personal, right? Right. Did you see that when you were studying leaders? And is that part of how people change one person at a time? We did, and if I could tell you a, a little story, um, kind of from where the idea came from, I was attending a, a leadership development program at a school called HEC Paris, and the presenter was a guy who's become a great friend and mentor, Richard Olivier, in London. And Richard was giving uh, a presentation on how to lead change based on Shakespeare. Um, based on, in fact, the work of Shakespeare in The Tempest. And as Richard was was preparing us for what we were going to be doing together in this change exercise, he started out, at one point he talked about, um, if you aspire to be a leader of change, if you aspire to change anything, then you have to do, you have to be willing to not only change yourself first, but to be willing to die to things in yourself that holds you back or holds your team back. And when he hit the word die with that great Shakespearean voice, I could feel, I thought about Gandhi talking about be the change in the world. And I felt the hair on the back of my neck stand up and the awesome responsibility of leading people to, to demonstrate change in myself first. And that got me thinking, and my, my great co-author Susan Goldsworthy about this book. You know, I, I, 
I, I'm familiar with that quote from Gandhi, and I think about that, frankly, for myself uh, a lot. And it's hard. It's really hard to be the change that you you want to see. I mean, it sounds easy, but boy, it requires a lot of reflection and a lot of pushing back um, sort of old dilemmas or old um, grudges, perhaps, is, is, is a good word to say. Do you find that, Walter? Do you find that hard for people to do? I found it hard for me to do. Um, I'll, I'll tell you there was an event um, with a major change in the U.S. federal government that I was involved with, and it won a Hammer Award. And there was a moment when the Vice President of the United States was conveying his Hammer Award and talking about what a great effort it was, and I felt like a fraud. I felt that um, when it came down to it, that we got past it, that we did it all right, but that I had missed opportunities to use this experience to develop the people that were under my charge. And yeah. I'm not sure I could have articulated it this way, but also to accelerate my own development. And so, and, and I conclude that thought by saying, if you aspire to be a change leader and you think it's about memorizing a certain number of steps or marching through it, just like managing a project, you're going to be mistaken. Um, changing anything is going to demand more of you than you could ever imagine. That's the bad news. The good news is it will give you more of a gift in terms of your development than the development of the people that you have under your charge that is second to nothing. Yeah, a very important. We're, we're at break, so we're going to take a break. I'm talking to Walter McFarland, uh, author, speaker, educator, a uh, real change agent in, in, in the world. Uh, stay with us, and we're going to be talking about how do you drive change one person at a time. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. If you have a loved one that is undergoing treatment for substance abuse or mental illness, you owe it to them and yourself to tune in to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. This compassionate and educational talk show will help you help those that you love by better understanding their condition and their personal recovery process. Tune in every Monday at 12 noon Pacific time to One Hour at a Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Recovery begins this hour. Dr. Linda Sharkey promotes fact-based solutions for global organizations and leaders that are known to drive business success. Do you want to put the wow in your talent practices? How about a spring in your leadership approaches? Coaching and leadership development are proven methods that, if done right, really do make good leaders great. If you want a no-nonsense, practical approach that will enable you to compete anywhere in the world with measurable results, contact Linda today. Visit lindasharkey.com. Again, that's lindasharkey.com. As your business grows, are you growing with it? Do you have the right balance of time, attention, work, and personal life? Take the growing pains out of growth and tune into The Business Edge with Marsha Zidle. If you are spending most of your energy managing problems rather than focusing on taking your business to the next level, our program will give you the steps you need to make sure you have everything in place for forward-thinking business leadership. The Business Edge is heard every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 
We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are tuned in to I Lead, the Leadership Connection. To speak to Dr. Linda Sharkey or her guest, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or you can tweet the show at hashtag iLeadTLC. We'd also love to hear from you by email. The email address is radio at lindasharkey.com. Now, back to iLead, the Leadership Connection. Hi, welcome back. I'm Linda Sharkey, your host of I Lead the Leadership Connection, and with me is Walter McFarland, uh, really a, a leader in the area of leadership and change and has been uh, all of his career. And we were just talking about uh, being the change that you want to see, and and I think Walter's quote was, you know, if you want to drive change, you have to change yourself first. And we were discussing how very difficult that really is. It sounds easy in paper, but it's very difficult. And you know, Walter, you were talking about change is not, you know, the five step change program, or you know, here are the ten steps. If you do this, all will be good. Talk about your experience with. Um, leading change and, and what you've discovered. Well, thanks. I think, you know, earlier I talked about the fact that uh, I guess I bragged on myself a little bit about getting this big award um, for something that was sort of mediocre. And so in the process of leading large-scale change efforts in the public and private sector and in, in kind of multiple countries as well, I think I, I, I think I can say without fear of contradiction that, that we've done it both pretty mediocre and we've done it great. But but in the learning about the things that really matter, a few things kind of come out. Let me touch on those. The first one you touched on, and that was really being sure that at the organizational level that the change is something that you're committed to do, not something that's nice to do. In this age of disruptive change, there's um, a lot of fear and growing fear, and, and maybe rightly, that we have to pay strict attention to our market and that we have to be ready to change at a moment's notice. So those kinds of changes that drive change for the sake of the survival of the organization are kind of one kind, and we'll just put those over a second. But there's other kind of changes that people who tend to lead their market segment take, and that's um, efforts to get out in front of the change. They use these changes to change ahead of change, and in fact, in some cases, to trigger change in the industry by virtue of the fact that they move. In fact, a consistent predictor of who leads an industry market is um, when they move, everyone moves. You talked earlier about um, be sure if you move, you really want to move. So if this is a discretionary move, be sure you're behind it or don't even start. Boy, is that true. Because once you start... Yeah, that is true. There'll always be resistance. There'll always be uncertainty. There'll be costs. There's an opportunity to misstep. So it's important that the leadership cadre um, be certain they want to do it, and even more importantly than that, be of one mind. And I think. Oh, say more about that, Walter. What do you mean about be be of one mind? 
I think that one of the points that, that we make in the book is that the change gets off to a wrong step because it's assumed that everyone agrees the need for it and how it will be conducted. As a matter of fact, if you're a high-end organizational change consultant, I bet you you'll agree that, that getting off to a good start is really important and you can't assume everybody's together. And the reason is, and this relates to research and psychology, everyone's experience with organizational change has been different. And everyone experience change is different. So when the CEO says to a senior team, we're going to do some organizational change, everyone nods, but they're imagining something different. And when he talks yeah. about how we're going to work together to implement this change, everyone nods, but they see something different. They even, in many times, um, see the role of people and organizations differently or what it takes to motivate a person differently. And as a change unfolds, and it gets to the business unit level, these differences become distinct. And employees picked up the fact that change means something different than business unit A to business unit B. It feels like things aren't fair. It feels like there's not a unified direction. So, so break. if you're a consultant and say to the senior team, it's important that maybe we spend some time off-site and get ourselves calibrated on what we mean by the word change and what we mean by conducting it, it's easy to be looked at badly and to be dismissed from the room because nobody wants to agree that they're not already in alignment. And few people have the courage to challenge that. And I will tell you, if you're a consultant or if you're a senior team, if you're a senior team, you guys aren't in alignment. <laughs> so spend some time defining um, what change means in the context of your organization and how you conduct it. And if you're a consultant, you want to be a great change leader push at the beginning um, to drive consensus. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, that's certainly been my experience, uh, both as a change leader working with teams, in that every time a change project has failed that I've been personally involved in is because there has not been clarity of purpose that everybody agreed to. And I, I think you're right. I mean, we preach that for years, you know, get people together, get really clear, get an understanding of what the consequences are, what's going to have to change with you personally. And, you know, I, I honestly, I see very rare organizations that can go through that level of introspection in getting ready for a major major change, but the ones that do are the ones that are really successful. I agree, and I, and I talk about a thing in the book called false urgency, and, and I ask the executive team to be wary of that, and particularly in the sense of disruptive change, because there's a bunch of fear involved in, in sudden change, and when fear happens, um, fear drives senior teams that take some shortcuts that really can kill the change effort. You know, there's just all, there isn't time to plan. There isn't time to develop people. There isn't time to involve people. All there is time to do is react. Right. So when the organization starts reacting, mistakes start happening and people start getting left behind. Yeah. And, you know, I I, I was thinking about something else, Walter, and I, I, I know you addressed this, but... You know, just just thinking about, you know, myself and yourself and, you know, leading large-scale change, uh, what do you do, you know, that you you go down a path, you know, you're you're in an organization, the organization wants this particular piece of change, and you're passionate about it, and you're really trying to lead it, but it's not going anywhere. 
because the organization is flailing uh, or, or, the, or the leaders are not taking the time. I mean, I, I got in the middle of a vortex like that. And what do you do when you're in that situation? What advice do you have for people? Um, what I see happen in practice is our attempts to increase the communication or motivation to the staff. I wouldn't do that first. I would pull the leaders together to include frontline supervisors that are actively involved in doing the change, and I would be sure that the leadership involved in the change was absolutely calibrated. And then I would approach the staff in this kind of restart mode with a single voice. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's really uh, an important piece of advice. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of books out there around accelerated change, but I don't think that you can pass up this, the, the pieces that you're talking about. Because if you do, it's not going to be accelerated change, right? That, that's right. And, and Linda, I jump in and say, and, and I ask our listeners to just take a breath for a second, and particularly if you're in the leadership change, and see if you agree with what I'm going to say next. There's always at least two reasons to do a change, right? There's always an urgent market reason to kind of go quickly and all that. We'll always have those reasons. But there's always a second reason, and that's simply the opportunity to work together better. And it turns out that the act of change is really a great lamp for adult learning. And the act of change, when the change process, when well-led, can accelerate the development of your team so that you not only respond to the market change, but the whole organization is stronger because of it. And that's a neat opportunity of change. It is a neat opportunity of change. It it really is. You know, I I interrupted you earlier when you were talking about the Shakespeare experience, and I know you just recently were in Scotland. And, um, you know, I'd like you to to share, you you know, you do a lot of these things using some Shakespeare metaphors and um, questing for the 21st century leadership. Uh, tell, can you tell me a little bit about that experience? I can. And, and for the sake of our listeners, if I could go back just a step, um, one of the things that, that drove me to take a sabbatical from Booth Allen was a sense that really it was a systems perspective in a way. It was what you know, we're still struggling as a people with defining great leadership. We're still struggling with, with doing great change. But what is there in the world that we haven't thought of? And so things like neuroscience and, and bringing neuroscience principles into the organizational milieu is something that I've thought about with, the, with some great people. Also, bringing the arts. And in a second, I'll answer your question about Shakespeare, but there's also, you know, improvisation. There's also, you know, very high-end storytelling. So the question really is, what are the other tools that managers have at their disposal that they haven't thought of yet? And so the Shakespeare piece, um, there's, a, there's an article in, in Bloomberg Weekly a couple of years ago called Shakespeare in the Boardroom. And, and if you're one of our listeners, feel free to blog that, and you'll see um, myself and several others um, talk about what we're talking about. But if I can give you just a quick example from change, um, it, so I said that it was, so one example would be the play Tempest was used. And so in the play, you'll recall that the character Prospero is the ultimate change leader and kind of the wizard. And um, he has a, a bone to pick with people who heard him in the past. And he's able to bring all these people together using magic and magic helpers to an island and exact his revenge. 
And so he's the absolute controller of change, and there's a, there's a turning point in that, and this is the, the final thought, in where one of these um, spirits comes to him and says, you know, we've been, you know, I'll have to uh, paraphrase, you know, you know, great change leader, we've done everything according to your will, and we're exacting your vengeance um, just as you have done. But I've listened to some of these people that you're so angry at, and they really have some great hearts, and they really seek forgiveness, and yet you have us continue to torment them and push them farther. Please tell me, change leader, that everything we've done here isn't simply about revenge. And, and Richard's point was, at that moment, you'll remember that Prospero's heart is pricked, and he takes his wizard staff, which is a symbol of his power, breaks it in half and buries it. At the moment of all power, he gives up power. And mm. this Very moment powerful. When, if you're the CEO, we talked about, so, so the CEO of that operation had some really powerful life-changing learning to do that when, that when he had all power over everybody, he realized that he was leading in the wrong direction and had to change. And that change made all the difference. Very important. We're on. We're at break right now, Walter. So I'm going to just ask to to, to pause here, uh, and when we come back, stay with us. We're talking to Walter McFarland, who clearly is a 21st century leadership expert, and we're going to talk. I want to talk a little bit about uh, as you like it, uh, too, Walter. I think that was just a fascinating story. When we come back, stay with us. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Dr. Linda Sharkey promotes fact-based solutions for global organizations and leaders that are known to drive business success. Do you want to put the wow in your talent practices? How about a spring in your leadership approaches? Coaching and leadership development are proven methods that, if done right, really do make good leaders great. If you want a no-nonsense, practical approach that will enable you to compete anywhere in the world with measurable results, contact Linda today. Visit lindasharkey.com. Again, that's lindasharkey.com. Game-changing technologies and strategies are transformational, exciting, and disruptive for a reason. They shake up your status quo. They get you thinking about new ways to scale, compete, and grow. They move you in amazing new directions. You're invited to take your coffee break with Game Changers on Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time for our special series on the future of business. Learn how you can become the transformational leader who takes your company across the finish line as you look ahead to the next breakthrough wave of innovation. The Future of Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP on the Business Channel. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. 
are tuned in to I Lead, the Leadership Connection. To speak to Dr. Linda Sharkey or her guest, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or you can tweet the show at hashtag ILEADTLC. We'd also love to hear from you by email. The email address is radio at lindasharkey.com. Now, back to I Lead, the Leadership Connection. Welcome back uh, to I Lead, the Leadership Connection. This is Linda Sharkey. I'm your host, and I'm speaking with Walter McFarland, author, speaker, executive coach, change leader. A uh, great new book, Out Choosing Change, How Leaders and Organizations Drive Results One Person at a Time. And we're talking about what works with change and what doesn't work with change. And Walter was sharing some connections that he does with through Shakespeare. And I'm, I'm going to pause here because I have another Shakespeare question I want to ask, but I want to ask it a little further down into this segment. So, Walter, what do you see? What kind of, what do great leaders do uh, that sets them apart when they're in a change initiative. Well, that's that's a great question, and it it goes to the Shakespeare question and, and well beyond it as well. And we talked about the fact that earlier mechanically that they're going to be sure that they do it and they're going to calibrate each other. But um, if I could go down a step and talk about where change comes unstuck a lot, it's the implementation, and I'm talking about large scale change where. There's change teams um, working in the individual business units or across geographies or what have you, and they need to be integrated, and they need to be enthusiastic, and they need to kind of keep going. And so change begins, and, and in spite of great communications and all the things we know we've got to do, there's a bunch of fear. And there's trust issues that are kind of cascading around the staff about, you know, I believe you're being truthful with me about the implications of this. You know, my mother's on a respirator. Um, is my job at risk? And so there's a lot of fear. And when we talk about change, we talk about, well, maybe we can just get at that by hiring communications consultants and come up with a better story, and that will take care of that. Great. 75% of change efforts globally underperform fail, or make matters worse. That number's held for three decades, and I don't see any evidence that we're gaining on the problem because we're thinking about change that way. We propose a different set. We say that the leader steps in the breach. So when the going gets tough, rather than depend on consultants to make an argument, you, you, step between the fear and the chaos of change at the early stages, and you apply your passion and your heart and your expertise and your experience, and you step between the chaos of change in your team, and you explain to the team the opportunities of it. You explain how you're going to, the opportunities to develop them personally. You explain to them the opportunities in, in this change to make the organization a better place, a better place than it could have been without the change, and their role and the importance of their role in it, and you never leave that place. So I've just suggested that in addition to pushing the change forward and being sure it stays on time within cost, you're keeping yourself positioned in the breach between chaos and your team. You know what you're doing? You're leading them through change. Yeah. 
I love that expression, the breach between chaos and change. That's a great one because it is all about fear. You know, people fear change, as we know from neuroscience. So I want to I want to get to why do you think organization change fails, aside from the leadership issues that we were just talking about? I, I think leadership is the number one reason um, why they fail. If you look at the literature, and, and I invite you to do that, listeners, and cluster up that data, um, you see reasons like lack of communication, uh, failure to engage the workforce, um, a bunch of reasons that sound plausible, but no one really says that, you know, whose responsibility was it to make sure those things happen. So I think it's that. And so we talked about, so how do leaders fail? And we talked about the fact that when change comes along, everyone's already fearful because of this disruptive phenomena in the market and that they act too quickly and that they act in fear. And fear cascades down to mid-management, to first-line supervisor. And so nobody's taking the time to develop staff. Nobody's standing in the breach. Everyone's equally afraid. And when fear comes in, one of the ways you can recognize it is Schedule takes um, is the only thing that matters. Learning doesn't matter. Um, growing together closer matters. Leading how we change here better. Remembering how to change for the next change. All that matters is getting through it. That's when fear is taken older. So leaders, um, get together in the beginning of it. Take a breath. Pause. Be sure you're on the same sheet of music. Um, refuse that false sense of urgency. Don't tell each other there's no time to do all the things you need to do. Make time. You know, um, yeah. get, you get all the, and even when your stomach's kind of up there, take the time to do it. I was talking to an executive of a Fortune 500 manufacturing company as a part of the book, and he was talking about um, a global change effort that got too urgent and it got out of control, and his heart was telling him that they were damaging people, that they were damaging the brand, and he just decided to slow down his part of the change. He decided that no person was going to be left behind. He took some professional risk, but things got better. Yeah, I, I love that phrase, no person left behind. That's, that's so important. So here's what leading me to a uh, another question I think that you were talking about earlier. You just came back from the uh, ATD uh, ICE conference, which is the International Conference and Exposition, and you were talking about that this is a massive sort of global whole systems change initiative around learning and development. What were some of your big uh, ahas and takeaways from this year's conference? There was a great one, and, and it's uh, Shugata Mitra, and, and I'm going to come back to that in a second. But before I do, Linda was so generous with me earlier talking about that while I was board chair of, of AFTD, I initiated a change um, to ATD. I, I was more just, I was lucky enough to be present when the change of our great CEO, Tony Bingham, and our great staff at ATD, um, when this came to, to be. But we did, in fact... Um, uh, with their great leadership, change a 70-year-old organization from something to something else, and from essentially an American training organization to 
um, what's becoming a global center for talent development and the largest one in the world. So we're talking about a community of practice of about 100,000 in 135 countries. And, and so we're in the midst of, um, and please Google ATD, Association for Creative Development, we're in the midst of, of really taking talent development, human development organizations to another level. We just met in Orlando, 11,000 of us from 100, about 100 countries, and we had um, three keynotes. They were all wonderful. Um, uh, uh, Shigata Mitra won the 2013 TED Award um, for an idea called yes. um, Hold the Wall, remember? Yes. I, yep. I, this, this guy inspired me. And I was lucky enough to be with him um, in small group and learn some more about it. But and I'm going to be very brief. But it started with an idea in India, in some of the poorer parts of India, of putting um, a, a mounting inside the wall a computer about three feet above the ground where children were, and seeing what happened. And Dr. Mukher said that when you mount a computer three feet above the wall, you tend to attract people that are about three feet tall. And he has some film clips of what children did, in, um, and this was an Internet-enabled computer, of what they began to do on the computer and finding a search engine and going through it. And, and within nine months, when folks showed up and asked what they were doing, these, these poorest of the poor kids asked for a computer with, with a better processor. And there's a great moment where a six-year-old girl, he does a translation, reaches up and touches a computer screen, and she says to her children, her friend children, there's something in here that thinks. And, and as you see the progression of the idea, you see that these children, um, with just a little bit of help, begin to learn more and more things without an instructor. And the award was for a thing called SOL, an acronym called SOL, S-O-L-E, and that's Self-Organizing Learning Environments. And that is the children with Internet access computers with a very, um, very low level of facilitation can learn incredible things. And I'm going to stop in one second, but one of the facilitations that makes this all happen is a thing called the Granny Cloud. Granny is in Grandmother Cloud. And... What accelerates yep. learning of these children is simply an older person sitting in the back watching them and providing admiration. The older person Fascinating. expresses acceptance and amazement at all the wonderful things they're doing. Yeah, amazing. You know, people, people are curious and given opportunity to learn. Uh, they, they really do. That's a fascinating story. I love that story. And Walter, we're going to be coming up on break in two, uh, we're in two minutes, but I do want to ask you, um, you know, tell me the storyline that you use from the Shakespeare's play um, as you like it, if you would. Um, Olivier Mythodrama, and, and please Google that, are the creators of, um, are thinking about a new capability um, tying 21st century leadership to a, to a Shakespearean storyline, and that happens to be the play as you like it. And Linda, you may cut me off here at the two minutes, but feel free to do it. But um, I, And so, you know, every act of the play um, means something different for the leader development. And in Act 1 is the old court, where things are your organization, maybe now where things aren't going so great, something's got to give. Act 2 is the move into the forest. 
in the forest just doesn't mean moving out of the physical structure. It means being open to the possibility of change and making movements in that direction, um, being open to change in yourself, being open to learn and see people in different ways. You begin, if you move to the react, you begin then to collect the learning while you're in the forest, and new and unexpected great things begin to happen that offer enlightenment, and then in the end, there's the putting of it all together. And I just did a horrible uh, job of explaining what it is, but if you'll take a look at that play with those eyes, uh, if you'll follow the central character and let him be the protagonist, the leader, I think you can see there's there's some truth there for organizations today. I loved I loved I loved that analogy and I thought it was great. And what I what I took from that when we first were talking is, you know, you've got to leave the old way of thinking behind. And you've got to be open to new opinions and new ways of thinking. And it leads me to some thoughts about the conversations I've had with others around the future of HR. Um, the strategic partnership hasn't worked. This is an area that's near and dear to you. Stay with us. We're, com- we're at break. When we come back, I want to pose that question to Walter. And I have a question that's come in uh, through email about your view of HR. So stay with us. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Dr. Linda Sharkey promotes fact-based solutions for global organizations and leaders that are known to drive business success. Do you want to put the wow in your talent practices? How about a spring in your leadership approaches? Coaching and leadership development are proven methods that, if done right, really do make good leaders great. If you want a no-nonsense, practical approach that will enable you to compete anywhere in the world with measurable results, contact Linda today. Visit lindasharkey.com. Again, that's lindasharkey.com. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Hey, did you know Voice America has partnered with the Kidstar Network to expand their reach through Voice America Kids? Voice America Kids will feature talk radio for kids, by kids, along with special event programming and live broadcasts. Each program is conveniently archived for on-demand listening at any time. Please check our archives for the latest events and happenings on voiceamericakids.com. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are tuned in to I Lead, the Leadership Connection. To speak to Dr. Linda Sharkey or her guest, please call in to one 866 472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or you can tweet the show at hashtag iLeadTLC. We'd also love to hear from you by email. The email address is radio at lindasharkey.com. Now, back to iLead 
The Leadership Connection. Hi, welcome back. I'm Linda Sharkey, your host of I Lead the Leadership Connection, and with me is Walter McFarland, a leading uh, expert in large-scale change. Uh, if you don't know Walter, Google him, get a copy of his book. It's a fascinating and, and wonderful read. So, Walter, stay. Uh, there, there was a question that was emailed in from Dan from Pittsburgh. And the question is, you know, you've been in HR for a long time, you know, with Booz Allen, etc. What do you see as the future of HR? Clearly, uh, one could argue that the strategic partner that we all so lovingly like to banty around hasn't worked. So what do you see and what's, what are the artifacts of old HR and where does it need to go? It's a great question, and it came up in my life um, last year as I was asked to stand up uh, an HR advisory board at Georgetown and put together a group of, of Fortune 500 CHROs on the board, as well as SHRM, ATD, um, other kinds of organizations. And so we had a roundtable discussion in which we invited uh, numerous professional organizations to talk about it, and, and this is Walt McClellan's opinion now. And it was clear to me from the discussion that, um, that the thought was that HR, as currently configured, has failed. And it's failed because it's gotten lost in the transactional piece of HR. It's thinking more about reducing risk than inspiring human performance. And so when we think about the shared services roles, um, the roles and, you know, being sure that retirement's fully funded and all that, it's, you know, kind of the... The, the drawing boxes and the performance management kind of of people um, has is still operating in the 1950s or 1960s and is ill-suited um, for the current generation of people. And the, re- the recommendations that we talked about was the fundamentally reconsidering, redefining what the job of the chief human resource officer is and how HR um, works within modern organizations. So in a nutshell, give me quick, what do you see as the key things for HR in the modern organization? Um, HR leaders have to be more global. That means um, education that may move among countries going forward. They have to be comfortable with big data analytics. They have to be comfortable with, um, with working in multiple cultures quickly and being able to define meeting. They have to be um, able to uh, move into an area and, and make not just HR decisions, but business decisions that are informed by HR considerations going forward. And I think they have to be a new kind of leader. And let me give you a specific example of how that might go. Um, there's a movement that maybe we should think about recruiting people as teams, not as individuals. That all work is being done by teams. The teams are better able to solve complex problems but that we don't have the methodology. We're not good at, at selecting teams, developing teams together, and create and, and fostering leaders that can unleash the problem-solving power of complex teams. New kinds of leaders, more global, more comfortable with data, better tied to the business. Yeah, well, that's, that's great. That's exactly... That's exactly where I am in my thinking, and, and I've written a lot about that. And uh, 
let's let's see where this all heads. But I think there fundamentally needs to be a change. And I think leaders that are HR leaders that are still out there talking about you've got to have performance metrics and forced ranking, and uh, that that's 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 the leadership of the past. So, Walter, thank you so much for being with me today. I really appreciate it. It was a wonderful guest, and I hope to have you on again. I could talk to you uh, uh, about a ton of other things. And congratulations and best of luck with your award-winning book. Linda, thank you much, and thanks to your listeners. It was great to be with you. Thank you. And, you know, let me tee up the uh, next show Uh, I have Lisa Earl McLeod, who is, again, another wonderful author. She's done Noble Purpose for Sales. She has some wonderful, wonderful stories to tell about how this thinking about what customer centricity is all about and places that are really customer centric are really organizations that have a noble and clear purpose. And she strips back this sort of platitude about what it means to be customer-centric, and she really focuses on helping organizations define that collective noble purpose. And it fits right in with what Walter was saying as well, and that if you want to drive change, you have to have a collective view of what the noble purpose is of your organization that becomes the barometer or the criteria for how you're going to make decisions and how you're going to move forward as an organization. Highly essential. You know, Walter was on the show and I failed to ask him questions, didn't have time about neuroscience. And he is a big proponent of neuroscience, worked in the, in the, as part of the faculty in the neuroscience, neuroscience Leadership Institute, and has a lot to say on that subject, which leads me into June. June is my neuroscience month, and I have invited four exceptional thinkers, speakers, researchers on neuroscience to talk about Brain-Based Leadership, the Academy of Brain-Based Leadership, which I'm thrilled to say I was just recently appointed to the board of the Academy of Brain-Based Leadership, and I am humbled and excited to be part of uh, this, this, this really august group. And you will see that by going through these series of uh, shows, the impact that um, neuroscience has had on old models and what old models are are beliefs that we used to have of things that you must employ or do within the organization. Performance management and rankings is one of them, which actually is counter to how the brain really operates and drives fear in people, which Walter was so eloquently speaking about. People don't change when there's fear. And if you're fearful and you can't trust, you're not going to change. And you can't dig into yourself and, and get out of your own way. Also, how to be resilient under stress. We've learned an awful lot about that, and we'll be talking about what the brain tells us about resiliency and stress. And we're also going to be looking at the 17 brain capabilities and how you develop those capabilities to be more of an emotionally heart-driven leader. So join me next week for Lisa Earl McLeod, really a TEDx speaker, wonderful discussion around being the change you want to be and really examining yourself for the messages that you're sending out. And are the messages aligned with the real true personal purpose that you have? And if they're not, how do you change them? 
And change is not easy. But we know from studying the brain, it can be done. And then the following month is our neuroscience month. I'm so excited about that. And then after that, July, we're continuing our discussion of views from the top. We'll be having a series of top CEOs from around the world talking about how they learned their biggest leadership lessons and their biggest challenges. So we have a couple of exciting months ahead. So again, thank you for being with me. I'm Linda Sharkey, your host of I Lead the Leadership Connection. I do hope you're getting a lot out of the show. I certainly am. I feel honored and humbled to have the opportunity to have such great people and to learn from them in our discussions. Talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of I Lead, The Leadership Connection. Please join Dr. Linda Sharkey again for another show next Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a successful week.